America is in a race for its future. Our nation has abundant oil and natural gas to make us more energy independent. We have the advantage, but foreign nations want to fill growing energy needs and leave America in the dust, weakening our security and idling our economy. We can't let that happen. Let's harness America's energy advantage and secure our future. Go to lightsonenergy.com. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by API. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 344. 344, and we already have one company who wants to help us celebrate our 400th, so it's getting here quicker and quicker and quicker. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Justin Dial's over there. Yep. Yep. Just making sure that- Make sure my levels are good? Yep. Speaking of good, you want to hear something really awesome? What? On our last episode, you joked about exhaust, and then on Behind the Curtain, we talked about why you joked about exhaust. And it was all because somebody stole half my exhaust system off my car, <laughs> which is true. I don't usually do this, but I want to give a big shout out to uh, Kevin Verdina. He's the operation manager at Fast Intentions. And let me tell you why I want to give him a big shout out. So somebody in the middle of daylight stole half my exhaust system. I have a custom exhaust in my car. Very expensive. And when they stole it, the company that makes the exhaust system you would have thought would have tried to get me to buy a whole new exhaust system. Mm -hmm. And Kevin at Fast Intentions did the right thing, and he's only selling me the part that was stolen because he felt sorry for me. Well, I, was, I feel exhaust. sorry for you, too. <laughs> I don't usually do this, but Kevin, give you a big shout out. You now have several million people have heard your name and your story and mentioned your company, Fast Intentions, from all 205 countries on the planet. Just because you did the right thing. You did good business, and I respect that, and I appreciate that. Another thing, if you're in the Houston area around May 14th, you might want to come to the API Luncheon. My co-host for the Sales and Marketing Podcast, Matt Bertram, and I are actually presenting on how to sell from the stage. Oh, you scared me. I thought I was going to have to be on no, stage. <laughs> no, no, no. Matt and I are actually teaching a class, how to sell from oh, the stage. Oh, that's cool. Basically, how to generate high-quality leads for the oil and gas industry and establish yourself as a thought leader. And we're going to record it as a podcast. So we have no safety net. It's either going to be awesome or we're going to fail, and it's all going to be recorded in front of a live audience. Oh, y'all will be fine. I will be fine. And between Matt and I, we are experts at this sort of stuff. If you run a business or if you're in sales and marketing, if you're somehow connected to generate leads for your company, you don't want to miss this. You're having two of the world's experts basically teach you how to do something for free that we charge other people for. So come check us out. The link will be in the show notes. And we got a review. You want to yeah, review? four stars. Keep it going. I'm a Canadian engineer working in the oil and gas industry, and I enjoy this podcast and the work you both are doing. Paige's sarcasm cracks me up, and I like how you're open to debates, discussions about climate change, renewables, etc. Especially since Mark has an environmental background. I've uh, been listening since early 2023, and I rated it four out of five stars because in that time, I've noticed this podcast has a bias towards Western oil and gas companies. For example, I'm yet to hear anything about the fantastic work in the Danagote oil refinery is doing to stabilize the cost of refined products in Nigeria and West Africa, especially 
since the likes of Shell and other Western refinery companies made the business decision to leave. Thanks and keep up the good work. So we don't have his name, but first thing, I really appreciate this review, and I'm glad you like Paige's sarcasm. Because it's am, unrelenting. <laughs> and I am open to discussions about climate change and renewables, and I am an educated environmentalist. Now, one of the reasons we don't talk about other oil and gas companies is, remember, this is a news show. Yeah. When you look at scope and scale, companies like Exxon and Halliburton and Chevron are just so big compared to other companies, even nationalized oil companies, that they get the majority of the news coverage. And so that's the majority of what we talk about. Now, it's your bad luck. And I know you didn't do this on purpose, but I think just last episode, we actually talked about the Dango oil refinery and what they're doing in Nigeria. But I do see your point here. Maybe we'll try to cover some more of the. I really try smaller, to cover worldwide, yeah. but it's hard to find those news articles. It is hard to find them. Yeah. Yeah. We try to cover everything. It's sort of like the people from downstream or midstream, the pipelines and refinery people saying we don't cover enough of them. Well, most of the news is around the upstream side of the markets. That's so, most yeah, of what we report on. Right. So I yeah. have to go specifically look for different sectors to yeah. make sure everything's fair. But so. this is a great review. Really appreciate it. Would love for the anybody else in the audience to leave us reviews. This is what helps us figure out what we need to do with this show. And if you want an easy way to do it, there's a link in the show notes, regardless if you're on Apple or not. It makes it ridiculously easy. Whoever left this review, I don't know why we don't have their name. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, I think you cut it off on the screenshot. Oh, well, I'll look it up later. All right, so let's get into the news stories. First off, earnings for big oil backpedal as natural gas prices tumble. Yeah, so both Chevron and Exxon, their earnings weren't as good as the market wanted them to be. Exxon actually missed their targets, which huh. is not like Exxon ever. I mean, they've done it in the past, but they usually are very conservative in their earnings when they report to Wall Street. Basically, what's going on is natural gas prices are very low, extremely low, actually, which caused them to miss their revenue targets. Total, which is another one of the super majors, slightly beat the forecast, but that was done their refining margins, even though they still suffer from the steep drop in price for natural gas. European gas prices have declined about 35% because their winter wasn't as bad as everybody thought it was, would have been, which was awesome. And their storage levels are picking back up, which also affects shareholder value and profits. Exxon's profit dropped 28%, Chevron's dropped 16%, Total's dropped 22% all this year over year. All of them are making more money on crude because crude prices are up. This is just a blimp in the financial radar. There's nothing deeper here. Now, all these companies will be focusing more and more on liquids, specifically crude, because that's where the money is today in April 2024. As always, any company that's out there that's in the commodities market, like oil and gas, they follow where the money is because they have to. Still, both these companies are making record profits. They're not hurting for money. They're not hurting for cash flow. They just had a blip because of the low net gas prices. It happens. Okay, doke. Next one, Equinor, a case study on the trouble with greeting oil and gas companies. So Equinor, which was forever Statoil, changed its name to Equinor to align itself with more of the green renewable movement. Oh, that sounds familiar. If you listen to this show for any length of time, you know what's happened. Basically, the renewable market is failing fast, and it's failing fast because our world's politicians try to push the world into renewables faster than the market could adapt to it. I'm a big fan of renewables in the right place, but however, they're not a one-size-fit-all by far. This article is really interesting because Equinor, the former Statoil, is Norway's nationalized oil company. And that company and that country have made 
all of their money, I don't care what everybody else says, all of their money from crude and natural gas from the North Sea. In fact, Norway is one of the wealthiest countries out there. It's also one of the reasons that the socialist government works so well because they have plenty of money. Socialism tends not to work well when there's no money. They have a sovereign wealth fund, so they have a huge savings account. This is one of the companies that originally aligned with the Paris Climate Accord. They changed the name from Statoil to Equinor, and their investors are not happy with the fact that they're still, most of their revenue comes from oil and gas or fossil fuels, as they call it in this article. Sounds like they're going to have to get over that. Why does all this matter? It matters because Equinor has investors and those investors want to return on their money. You're getting a lot of investor pushback, although the investors that are making the most noise own the least amount of shares. <laughs> the investors that are not making noise own the most allowed shares. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in this scenario as they go out. Their next shareholder meeting is on May 14th, which is about three weeks away. That's going to be when we see what hits the fan and what the reality of what Equinor wants to do with their investing organization and their shareholders. Because if they decide to pursue the green renewable route, they're going to lose revenue. And they're going to lose revenue with their competitors like Exxon and Chevron are basically killing it. And they have examples. They see what's going on with BP and Shell, who unfortunately aren't doing as well as Exxon Chevron because of the amount of investment they put in renewables in the past. It's a bit of a litmus test. I can't actually wait to see what happens on May 14th. Is the handful of very environmental activist investors going to cause Equinor to keep going down this route? Or will the people that want to make money off their investments went out? Let's see. I'm 90% confident that Equinor will continue to be an oil and gas company and that the smaller group of investors that are basically raising hell want them to change their direction aren't going to get any traction, but we will see. Well, yes, we will. Next up, we've got Mountain Valley Pipeline requests and service approval as completion nears. If this thing ever actually starts flowing, <laughs> <laughs> this has been a mess. I don't know if y'all follow this. I, of course, follow this for years and years. This project has been had unbelievable amount of different delays and legal battles. I think there was, I don't know, seven or eight years of fighting around in court over environmental concerns. And, of course, we had the usual suspects raising hell, protect our water, heritage, rights correlation, and then all the other environmental. So on and so, so forth. Yeah. Basically, have tried to keep this pipeline project from happening. However, this pipeline looks like it's going to be lit, even though they have the environmentalists still trying to take them to court and they're still bringing up issues that make no sense. Any type of regulatory violations did not happen. Any type of environmental study that needed to be done was done numerous and numerous times. Their critics are just raising hell because they just don't want this thing to be lit. This is a modern, state-of-the-art, brand-new pipeline, which means it's one of the safest pipelines ever built. It's the best way to move anything around, not just crude oil, natural gas, but anything you can move in a pipe, sewage, clean water, produce water, whatever. And people basically don't understand that this is an infrastructure project that is needed. And by trying to stop this, all they're doing is raising the cost. And like I said, this thing's been going on for years. It should be finished years ago. When it does stand up, I'm going to give Mountain Valley Pipeline a round of applause on this show because they stuck it out. We've had other major companies yep. out there that had this type of resistance and pushback that either sold the project to the government, Canada, or <laughs> just said, you know what, we're not doing it. And people can pay high prices. So hats off from Mountain Valley to sticking to it through all the court battles, all the having to redo all the environmental studies, all the water crossings, all the fights in court. And they're this close, air quotes, this close, getting this thing up and running. So almost congratulations, Mountain Valley Pipeline. Yeah, yeah. Oh, looky here. Stranded cargo shows credit challenges at Nigeria's Zangote refinery. 
<laughs> so what timing? Yeah. PetroChina is waiting to unload a cargo that came from the U.S. at Nigeria's new refinery. Now, it's been sitting there for a month. They haven't been able to unload it because there is what? Payment issues. Hmm. Now, boy, this gets complicated. <laughs> so this is a $20 billion refinery, $20 billion with a B, but it wasn't put together by a bunch of analysts or a big company. I mean, a bunch of investors or big companies put together by one man, Alko Dangoat, who's Africa's richest man. And he basically said, my country needs a refinery so we can quit and port and refine goods, and I'm going to build it myself out of my own pocket, which he did. Now, Pretty neat, order, though. It is pretty neat. He's going to make a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. But he's doing it because he believes in his country. Well, yeah. Which is great. As one should. As one should. You're right. Different countries in Africa have had the same problem for decades where they have oil, they have hydrocarbons, tons and tons of really high-quality hydrocarbons, and they export that, and other countries and companies buy them. But the refined goods they need, diesel, gasoline, petrochemicals, all that, they buy themselves on the open market because they're unable to refine their own hydrocarbons, and he's trying to fix this. In order for a refinery to run, you have to have raw feedstock, in this case, crude oil. And there's 2 million barrels of WTI. I want you to follow this. So 2 million barrels of WTI, that means it's U.S. oil, that is stuck in a cargo super tanker that is owned by PetroChina. So PetroChina bought 2 million barrels of West Texas intermediate crude, moved it under its own flag, and now they're selling it to this Nigeria, except the payments, as it went through, they're not going to offload it. Now, what's happened so far is the refinery has to issue a letter of credit, which is basically a letter to, between two banks saying this is a good transition, you'll get your money. That hasn't been done yet because what? There's some corruption in PetroChina, and the owner of the refinery wants to get to the bottom of this little error in the bookkeeping before he pulls the trigger of a letter of credit. This is a mess. <laughs> <laughs> this ship that sits there, it's costing about $65,000 a day. day. Remember, it's been there for a month. That ship is just sitting there. But the owner of this refinery is doing the right thing. It's like, I'm not going to take ownership of this crude until I make sure it's legit, that it's legal. And I just love the fact Hats that off, it's, man. it's crude from our backyard here in Texas, moved by China to Africa, who has their own crude. Yeah. But it made more fiscal sense to actually move WT out there. We're going to keep an eye on this. I fully expect that PetroChina is not going to sit on this for too much longer. Whatever error there is in booking, they'll get fixed. They'll get the letter of credit done. They'll offload the cargo. And the cool thing about this page, if this trend continues, if this refinery continues liking that WTI crude, that means our home state of Texas is now selling crude to a refinery in a different country in Africa that will allow them to provide refined goods to their people. Well, so we do what we do. Yeah, there's a connection between Nigeria and Texas. It's a beautiful thing. But PetroChina, get your accounting straight so we can get this thing offloaded. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Exxon is working on tech to remove CO2 from atmosphere, but a breakthrough is needed to slash costs. Okay, y'all read through this, and then you know everybody's listening, read through this, skim through it, and I'm going to tell you what I think is going on. So basically, Darren Woods, the CEO of Exxon, is saying our direct air capture is awesome, but it's cost us between $600 to $1,000 per ton to remove CO2 from the air, and it needs to be about $100 per ton, which is a huge price difference. Yeah, right? yeah. just a little bit. He's not saying that Exxon will be able to fix this price difference, but that the world community and the experts should be able to fix this because they figured out a way to pull it out of the air, and Oxy's doing the exact same thing. Now we just need to get the price down. And if you look at anything that we've ever invented, everything from smartphones to poppet sockets to automobiles. You just bring up pop sockets. Yeah. <laughs> it's the so prices random. always come down. As people yeah. buy, they're able to get the prices lower, 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 lower. 
This seems like makes total sense. Exxon's doing this. They've proved the model. It's not in vitro. It's in the field. It just is too expensive. They need help bringing the price down. But as you read through this, going from $1,000 per ton to $100 per ton, that's a huge difference. But if you read through this, the other thing Exxon's still putting money in, so their Baytown direct air capture is a pilot. They're not building other ones things, but they're buying pipelines, pipeline companies. They're buying old reservoirs, all to sequester the carbon dioxide that eventually they'll think pull out of the air. And if you read through this completely and understand what they're doing, let me tell you what I think Exxon's doing. And Exxon, everybody knows my opinion of Exxon. I think they're the best engineering and project management company on the planet. They don't make mistakes. Sometimes it takes a decade to figure out the move they made now, why it made sense 10 years later. Paige, I think two things are going on. I think Exxon is going to depend on different governments to subsidize pulling CO2 out the air and for other smaller companies to figure out actually how to drop the price and Exxon's going to benefit because they're the only company that will have the infrastructure once the price gets low enough to grab all the CO2 out of the air and store it somewhere and move it around and then resell it. The other thing I think is going on is who's not getting into carbon capture and storage right now? All of the independent producers in the yeah, U.S. Yeah, all the independent. Now, if you look at the numbers, the large companies, what other people call big oil, the BPs and the Shells and the Chevron. The super majors. Exxon, super majors in the U.S. produce maybe, maybe 15% of the oil and gas. The other 85, 90% is produced by independent producers. Right. These are mom and pops. These are small operators that are not the big guys. That's why I hate when people say big oil. Most of the oil in the U.S. is produced by somebody's grandfather's company. That I used to work for. That you used to work for. Is this going to give Exxon a competitive differentiator between the independent producers and help Exxon capture market share? Because none of them, yeah. number one, none of them have the money to put in this well, research. Right. right. Number two, Exxon's going to get the rest of the world and the governments to help make this thing price affordable down to that $100 a ton that they need instead of $1,000 a ton. I think this is Exxon doing what's called in the sales world, blocking and tackling, where you see there's competition out there and you can't out-compete them head on. So what do you do? You block their access to new markets and you tackle their prices in a way that they can't respond to. I don't know. I have no crystal ball. ExxonMobil does not call me, gives me their inside strategies for the future business. But in some ways, if I'm right about this, I think this is genius. But in other ways, if I'm right about this, and once again, I don't know if I am, does that mean somewhere in the future Exxon will have a close monopoly on the carbon capture and storage? I was actually business? just about to bring that up. Yeah, we will see. And it won't be. I was be, like, man, that sounds like a monopoly. Yeah, it won't be anytime soon. It'll be 20 years. So we'll see. If Paige and I are still doing this podcast in 20 years, I might refer back to this and go, I told y'all 20 years ago this might happen. Dude, you're going to be like 80. I'm going to be old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we're going to be doing podcasts then. Would not surprise me that. You want to be doing it from the, no, you'll be doing it from a nurse, nursing Nursing home. home, (laughs) All right. Next article. What nursing homes are doing for, no, what's the next article? (laughs) Middle East escalation could trigger oil price shock that fuels inflation. World Bank warns. World Bank saying that, look, prices haven't risen a lot right now because a lot of the analysts think that nothing major is going to happen there. We disagree. We think there's a pretty big chance of something major breaking out and oil's going to spike to $102 a barrel. I agree with them, except I think their price is wrong. 
I think if something happens, $102 would be something we'll wish for. I think it's to be $150, oh, yeah. $180. Yeah. Yeah. Much, much higher. Yeah. Much, much higher. This is going on, all the stuff that all of y'all know, what's going on with Israel, what's going on between the two governments Iran. in Jerusalem and Tehran. Yeah. What's going on with Iran, the limited attacks going back and forth. And the World Bank is saying, look, this is a very vulnerable moment in the world's history. A major energy shock could undermine much of the progress and reduce inflation over the past two years. This is from their chief economist, Intermit Gill, and I agree with Intermit, except I think the impacts would be much bigger financially than what they're saying at $100, $203. Also, inflation has dropped a little bit globally, but still a major driver in the world's economy. And I think if commodity prices shoot up, especially crude oil because of a conflict in the Middle East, you can see the inflation go the opposite way, which is not good for anybody. And it affects our world's poor people the most. And we are really keeping an eye on this. And there's a lot more poor people these days. There's a lot more poor people say. And then the other thing that people don't talk about too much with the conflict in the Middle East or the potential for it turning all out warfare is what does OPEC could do? Mm, great point. Is OPEC going to capitalize on the $150, $108 a barrel and make just a tons of money while they can? That's what I think they're going to do. Or will they try to help stabilize the market and increase production, which I don't think they can increase production much of anything. I don't think Russia can either. I think the only country that can increase production if there's a war to try to keep prices low is us. But we can't because we're hampered by our current political administration. So this is a mess. We are absolutely keeping an eye on this. I don't think we have much of a We don't have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. All right, next up, we've got Mexico Seeds Air Lockheed's hydrogen plant at Pemex Refinery. Hey, Pemex, here's a good way to piss off big companies that don't <laughs> want to work with you. Take their stuff. I don't know what's going on with Pemex. So this is a, a hydrogen plant. If you don't know, hydrogen is often used when you're cracking heavy hydrocarbon molecules, so basically heavy oil. And the cracking process is done several ways. Heat's one. We actually talked about this recently. Hydrogen is another one. So this is a hydrogen plant that was used in a refinery for the cracking process. This is very common. This plant was actually built by Pemex, but then they couldn't run it effectively. I, quite frankly, it kept blowing up and catching on fire. Well, I mean, that's what they're good at, right? That's what they're good at. So Air Liquide negotiated with the last Mexican government that was in power, bought this, retrofitted, brought up to modern standards, and started to run it. And everything was pretty and beautiful. And now Pemex, which is the state-owned oil company in Mexico, so basically you can say the Mexican government or Pemex either way is the same thing. They ordered an occupation of the facility. That's not cool. And declared that that hydrogen process is now owned by the state, and they were doing it for public good. Well, Air Lapide's not too happy about this. I guess not. Air Lapide moved all their people out, which are all the experts and engineers actually knew how to run this thing and rebuilt it. <laughs> Pemex, you have a history, a long history, of corruption ruining your business. Your HSE history is not very good. You also have a recent history. They're in the, they're in the news business. like every yeah. week. And now you're doing something like this. This is not good for your people. It's not good for your company. You now have pissed off a large company that probably will never do business with you again. And then sending signals to other companies not to work with Mexico. Yep. yep. Don't know why somebody thought this was a good idea. It's not. It's called greed. It is all greed. I guarantee you. It's corruption. I just hope and pray that more people don't get hurt. Unfortunately, I have no reservations in saying that probably this hydrogen plants that go back to what was going on before where things oh, catch yeah. on fire and blowing up. Let's just hope that, oh, you know, we can hope. Let's have just, the day you're supposed to have, Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So next up, we've got five key takeaways from the AFPM meeting. 
American Fuel Petroleum Manufacturers. These are the people who make gasoline and get it to the store so you can fill up your car. Oh, is that the thing I signed up for the last episode? I feel like I did. To write our congressman. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. They're, okay. they're the ones that did that, yeah. Yeah. We actually, some strange alternate universe, they actually wanted to record a podcast a year or so ago here in Houston, reached out to us, and we basically gave them our podcast recording editing team for, I think, a couple hundred bucks. We did it dirt cheap and recorded and edited a podcast for them. It wasn't on our network. We just Oh, that must have been for them. For them. Oh, okay, yeah. gotcha. Okay. This is basically five takeaways from the annual meeting. I love this because this is stuff I've been saying for years. First takeaway is 2024 is critical as new government policies threaten U.S. energy security. Yep. Next is serious transportation emission policies have to consider life cycle. Basically, yes. Can you say that the whole country has to be using electric vehicles by 2035? Sure, you can say that. Can you make it a law? Sure, you can make it a law. Will it actually happen? No freaking way. <laughs> you got to look at reality. Next is every refinery is special. I love this because each refinery is different. They have different outputs. They have different sizes. They have different blends that they like. Some of them blend themselves. Some of them pay the pipeline companies to blend. No two refineries are alike. That's something most people don't know. In order to leverage the U.S.'s refining capacity, you have to look at each refiner as an individual, both from a legally and a business point of view, which nobody understands that. So I'm glad they, AFPM does that. The next one, energy transition isn't monolithic. Yep, you can't just flip a switch and everybody's running a renewable and unicorn farts. It doesn't work that way. And the last one is safety is never proprietary. That's another one we've talked about, how our industry get to the point where they're sharing health and safety data, including lost times, incidents, root causes, which is good for everybody. I didn't actually make this meeting. I wish I would have because everything they said was spot on. We may actually have to join AFPM or at least reach out and do some type of partnership because I really, really like this. This is basically common sense that they're trying to help educate our politicians on here in the U.S. Well, Lord knows they need Good it. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. I shouldn't say it. I, hats off for them for trying. And like I said, we'll probably reach out to them, see if we can partner with them somehow. Okay. We'll see. Depends on what. Anyway, BP trims down executive team, picks new head of its gas and low carbon energy business. Hmm. Let me translate this for you. Yeah, go ahead. We made a bunch of bad decisions in the past. <laughs> we now can't afford to pay all these executives. So we have to get rid of some. And we need to hurry up and catch up with Chevron and Exxon. So we're going to hire somebody new. In oh, Florida, they finally natural, listened to you, Mark. In charge of that gas business. And we're going to find somebody that doesn't really care as much as the public does about a low carbon energy business and put them in place, too. You can go through this. The official statement is they're simplifying their organization structure. Oh, yeah. They're getting rid of a couple people who coincidentally just happened to take early retirement. They brought some new people in for the natural gas side. They brought somebody in that knows how to make money on natural gas for their low it's carbon. It's like they listen to the show. For the low carbon energy business, they bought somebody in that could run that business with much less of a budget than their predecessor had. Kind of tiptoeing around this. We should have brought this up at the, the thing at Horseshoe Bay. <laughs> <laughs> you know they listen to this show. I know. I, I figured, but that would have been hilarious. Can we put this in my presentation? No, please don't. <laughs> if you work at BP, I love you to death, BP. Yeah, this is what you needed to do. I'm glad to see you're actually doing it. <laughs> Unfortunately, your shares are trading lower. Last time I checked, I am a shareholder, actually. But year to date, your shares are up, which is good. And I think the first quarter results come out the first week of May, which is the same week you'll actually be presenting there. It will be a fun presentation, which actually, you don't know this. And, and now the BP team that listens to podcasts, 
that is sponsoring us at Horseshoe Bay is going to hear this before my email gets to them. <laughs> but some of this is actually in my presentations I'm doing as the keynote. Tucker's looking at Which, me by like- the way, if you're there, if you're going to be at the BP Producers Forum in Horseshoe Bay the second week of May, I am delivering the keynote in the morning. Come introduce yourself and say you listen to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, do that. Tucker's giving him side eye for all the laughing I'm doing over here. Okay, so next up we've got, as demand for U.S. LNG booms, one plant struggles to stay online. Yeah, this is just really, really sad. So Freeport LNG, which is like the flagship LNG producer in the world, take that Middle East and China. Is that the one on the coast? Yeah. Okay. They've had a string of bad luck. So remember during the freeze that took out one of their trains? Oh, yeah. And they had that fired explosion. Like Oh, right. Right yeah, after. It yeah. All, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then they shut everything down to go back and assess everything, make sure everything was safe, inspect everything, which was the right thing to do. They still haven't brought it back up to full capacity. They're able to churn through $2.2 billion with a big billion cubic feet per day of natural gas. And right now they're only processing 61 million cubic feet. That's M. And it's at a time when their raw feedstock, which is natural gas, is dirt low, and the price of LNG is good, which means they should be making money hand over fits, but they can't turn the damn thing up all the way, right? <laughs> and it's not any one particular person's fault. They're actually doing this for the right reasons. They're making sure everything is safe. They want to make sure they protect their people, their investment, their environment. They just had a string of bad luck, which is sad. That sucks. Because right now, they should be making enough money to start thinking about building another train. Anyway, they're working on it. They're not going to take any shortcuts. They're doing the right thing. It's just sad they're running way below capacity, but they'll be back up to full capacity probably in the next 90 days. All right. AI boom to fuel natural gas demand in coming years, report says. Where have you heard that before? Don't say too much. I won't say anything at all. <laughs> That's going to be my predictions. This Ooh. is only about half of my prediction. There's another part to this. Oh, wait. Yeah, because you told Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's another part of this that nobody's so far has caught on to. It's hilarious. It's ironically funny. But AI boom is absolutely fueling natural gas demand and will continue in the future. I expect natural gas somewhere in the future to be around $4 per billion cubic foot. Right now, it's like $1.80, $1.50, something like that, because it's the only way to supply abundant, reliable energy. If you think about AI, if you use ChatGPT or Claude or anything else out there, it's basically running on servers, or you can imagine the cloud if you want to think about it that way. And those servers that power the cloud have to have electricity 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They can't have it incrementally, which is what renewables supply. And it needs to be cheap because if it's not cheap, then the price gets passed on to the AI tool and people won't pay too much for AI tools. And AI is booming. It's entering every single part of your life and will continue that. And all of that's good things. And the only way to supply it with the right amount of electricity that's inexpensive today is with natural gas. Now, nuclear should really be what everybody's running on. And it's not there yet. Here's what the weird thing that's going on. This is going to be my predictions, too, for 2025. So you're having these large companies that are investing in AI will continue to invest in AI in the future that building these data centers, which have all the servers, which is what provides the cloud for AI. And some of them are actually, instead of looking at buying power from municipalities, they're looking at building their own power plants. The reason they're doing that is the political uncertainty of what the cost of electricity is going to be because they're worried, and rightly so, that if we have the right set of politicians in power, they may continue down this crazy renewable movement. And once again, I love renewables, but you're forcing it via politics, not where the market can accept it. They're worried that the grid reliability is going to get worse. Electricity prices are going up, which is happening right now. The way to minimize that risk or mitigate the risk is to build their own electrical generation plants. 
And several of them are looking at building nuclear plants. We may end up in 50 years in this weird dichotomy in this country where the large tech companies have the most reliable grid with the cheapest electricity. And what the public has access to is less reliable and more expensive, which would just be asinine if we let it get there politically. Good article talking about the growth in AI, how U.S. power tech companies are expressed concerns about our electrical generation system, our grid and pricing, and the fact that it can't expand fast enough to grow the, to meet the needs of AI, that renewables are not the answer to this, and that somehow we need to come up with an answer that makes everybody happy. We will absolutely stay on top of this. Yeah. We've gotten to my favorite part of these news articles. I actually think I sent you a TikTok about this. It's so ridiculous. Climate activists glue themselves to a tanker full of cooking oil, mistaking it for crude oil. When you make <laughs> when you make it on the e-bombs world, first of all, that's quite something. So this is in Europe. The same stupidity happens here in the U.S. This is a group that's associated with Just Stop Oil. It's called Extinction Rebellion, which is another group that refuses to come on the balance point and talk to me. They were having a protest, and they had a target, and they want to make sure that they made a news release right before they glued themselves. And they basically said, we are in civil resistance. This morning, we're occupying a tanker on the roads near Pure Fleet Terminal to stop the flow to oil, which is causing the climate catastrophe that we're all in. The world is doomed unless more people do like what we're doing. And what they did is glue themselves to a container of frying oil. Unfortunately, I would have started frying stuff. <laughs> that's on it. what I was thinking. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're going to have a fresh fish fry, y'all. <laughs> Unfortunately, it wasn't Paige and I there. It was actually the local authorities, which helped them get unglued. And if you get a chance to listen to some of these interviews from these very I'm sorry, I can't misguided stop. young people, some of them are even singing. I don't care what type of oil we glued ourselves to. It's still making a difference. That's so stupid. (laughs) And how much you make a bet after the authorities unglued them and they were hungry, they went somewhere and had something that was fried like french fries or fish and chips, right? All your anti-oil and gas activists, and especially Just Stop Oil and Extinction Rebellion, maybe you should read before you glue yourself no, to stuff? No, let them win some Darwin Awards. <laughs> you can't make this sort of stuff up. We include it because we make sure that you're updated. Yeah. So if you're driving somewhere in Europe or in the U.S. and you see some very young people, it looks like they're glued to cooking oil. <laughs> so dumb. Take a picture, send it to us. We'll send oh you some oil and gas merch oh, I for will, sure. I will buy you whatever you want in our merch store, for sure. Speaking of merch, <laughs> our merchandise store has grown a lot more. We have a lot more kids' clothes, infinite clothes. Paige, you know what's coming to the merchandise store? You don't know because I haven't told Is it what you already ordered earlier? No. We have nice notebooks coming. There'll be branded notebooks. We have. Because you don't get enough of those at conferences. leggings. Ooh. We have pet bowls. Our merch is oh, cute. No, it really is. It's really, there's a lot of stuff growing. I'm interested in the yoga pants. Yeah. Go check out our merch store. And once a month, you already just look at it and see what the new stuff is there. Oh, the other thing. Guess what? What? We're now the largest all gas merch store in the world. Oh, really? Isn't that crazy? It's quite surprising. <laughs> well, it's so honest. narrowly so narrowly niched, and I'm going off search data. All gas merch store is searched for, clicked upon by more people than any other all gas merch store out there. Nobody releases sales numbers, so it's hard for me to compare our gross sales from our merch store to anybody else's. But I would think that if we're getting more traffic, we're getting more sales. Oh yeah, we are one. number one. Yeah, I told you. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Well, it's that awesome. was yeah, and it's not even sponsored. <laughs> 
Well, the crazy thing is you didn't believe me. You had no, to fact check me live on the podcast. Like I was making it up. It's you and me. We own the merch store. <laughs> I'm glad you fact check me though. Well, you also like to bring up how people send you pictures of me where I'm toasted. and <laughs> That's your friends that do that. And then, oh, she doesn't even remember doing it, by the way. Then you tell me that Gabe tried to give my dog away. Let's say this on the curtain. Okay. All right. A couple things we get out here. Sign up for the two newsletters. Turbo Talk is being delayed a little bit. That is going to be the newsletter only in podcast with me and Amanda recording live from our car. And we can't record live from our car right now because it's missing half the exhaust because somebody freaking stole it. But that's still coming out. And if you want to listen to that show, it's very short. It's also- only, I mean, you can. It's going to be loud. It's only in the Sunday Update newsletter, which the link is in the show notes. Only Gas Events newsletter is also in the show notes. Weekly rig count. Where are we? So the United States is down six at 613. Canada is down nine at 118. Internationally, we're up 13 at 971. Uh, numbers about what we expect. Yeah. We talked about the merch store. We talked about me speaking to you and I doing a live podcast at BP. Thanks to those guys, gals out there. If you'd like us to come do a keynote, do a live podcast, reach out to me. Happy to share the details. First Friday Q&A is a couple of weeks out. Remember, submit a question. If we read your question on the air, you get a big shout out. The goal is not to stump Paige and I. Let's get out of here. Okay. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com. Oh,